While they're leaving, head off, uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. And if you're aware of our, our sermon series right now, some of you are thinking, oh, no, you didn't. No, you did not go to Philippians 4, 13. Come on now. I will, if I'm honest with you, I, was, uh, I, I preached when, when Ken Witten asked me to preach on uh, Wednesday. Uh, the Philippians 1, 3 was the verse that God laid on my heart. I, I, every, I, give th- I, get, uh, I give thanks upon every remembrance of you. And I preached on that. And I thought, you know, well, I'll just keep going. I'm doing three through five. I'll just do verse six this week. Well, uh, I was uh, Wednesday. I was, uh, we were having some work done here. And the internet lines had been cut. And the phone lines had been cut when they were doing some work. And so I was working from home. And I was having lunch with Karen. And she said, what are you preaching on Sunday? And I was already in 3 through 5, and I, I'm thinking, I'm probably going to just go ahead and do verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. I mean, that verse is misunderstood and abused, and her eyes start tearing up and say, what do you mean? That's my life verse. And I was like, I, I mean, I'm preaching on Philippians 4.13. <laughs> and uh, so we have the conversation, and she's like, well, I always thought that verse meant this. And I'm like, you're perfect, Karen, you're perfect. Just keep thinking that. No, no harm, no harm, no foul. Just keep thinking that. But uh, there's a lot of verses when they're not understood in their context. We can make them and they can seem to mean a lot of things that they don't. And we can abuse them to our glory and not the glory of our great Savior. And, and we will miss out on the power and the real power uh, that God intended to offer through these verses. Again, as we've said, the interpretation is one, the application is is many. And uh, today we are in Philippians. And actually in chapter 4, there's lots of good verses that you could talk about in Philippians 4. We could do 13. We could do 19. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That's another one that uh, we, won't, we won't go there this morning. I, 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 as I was sitting there talking to Karen, I, I started thinking, you know, She's probably thinking, man, you're, you're, you're so mean and destroying these verses. And I'm thinking, who else in the church in this series just walks away just thinking, why is he doing that? But, but I want us to see the scriptures in their context. And I want to see that God is good. And today we're in Philippians 4.13. And for the sake of time, I just want to jump right in. You'll see on your handout to that first point there. And, and uh, we need to understand the context that... that that these verses are written in, the context of this letter. In, in the epistles, the writers of the epistles, you have to understand that they were writing letters to address specific problems. There were specific things going on in the churches. There were specific things going on at that time. And they wrote these letters to address those problems. These were not random collection of just random thoughts. These were written to deal with specific Things that were going on at that time. And Philippians is no different. And the context of Philippians really is partnering in the advance of the gospel. And I, and I spoke a little bit of this Wednesday when I preached. And so for those of you who are there, a little bit of this will be different. But I'll be the same rather. But the context of Philippians is this. You, you can see it in 2 Corinthians 8. Paul preached the gospel to the Philippians in Macedonia. And they immediately responded immediately responded. Having received the gospel, they immediately responded by partnering with Paul. 
And if you read, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians are two of the greatest chapters we have on generosity and New Testament giving. But he says, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Listen to this. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. Their response to grace was a begging to participate in the same gospel that saved them to participate in that gospel going out to save others. And they immediately, if you look at chapter five, uh, verse 5 of chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul says, and starting in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you. Why? In view of your participation in the gospel. Same phrase. From the first day until now. Listen to me. From day one of their salvation. You know what they did? They participated in the advancement of that same gospel. Day one. Immediately. They partnered with Paul. And they shared. The, the word here. The word here. Participation. is the same word. Koinonia. That we get fellowship. It means to share. It means to partner with. It means literally to have a to share a common cause. And Paul, in in all of his efforts, how he gets thanked for his efforts for on behalf of the gospel and sharing the gospel is Paul gets thrown in prison. He's in prison. And, and that is where Paul, when he writes these letters, these what you'll know is prison epistles, he's in prison and he's writing to the Philippians. He's not in prison because he did something wrong. He's in prison because he did something right. He's suffering because of his stance in regards to the gospel. It is the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel that sent him to prison. And, and there were individuals who were using his imprisonment to insinuate that he was not really God's man, that God really wasn't for him, that God, that God was for them, and they were, they were pursuing their own agenda while Paul is in prison. And, and the Philippians had, and, and, and many in that day had attached, even today, they had attached prosperity and all things going well. You know, your bank account is full, your health is good, your kids are obeying, you got a job, all this stuff. Well, if those are all in place, then certainly God must be with you. And if those aren't in place, then you know what? You must be doing something wrong. That, that theology exists today, and it existed in Paul's day. And the, the Philippians had partnered with Paul in the advancement of the gospel. And, some, and so they were confused. You can imagine if, the, if, if, we're, if we as a church are supporting John Zeller faithfully, and one day you read in the newspaper that John Zeller is in prison, are we still going to support him? Why is he in prison? Does it mean that all his gospel endeavors have ceased? And, and Paul is writing to the Philippians. They had began supporting him. And what we'll see in a minute, there had been some, some say a gap of 10 years 
because of circumstances. There's no Western Union, there's no UPS, there's no FedEx in that day. There had been a delay in a gift they were intending to send to Paul. And in that, people are, 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 are using Paul's imprisonment to question him, question him in many ways, in many shapes, and even to promote their own. And, and the, 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 the reason Paul writes the letter is to encourage the Philippians in regards to their support to him. And he's got to walk a very tight rope with this. Again, there had been 10 years or so since the last gift. He's got to walk the tightrope of saying, look, I appreciate your support. And yet I've been fine in the interim because I serve a great God. The ministry has not gone away. The fact that I'm in prison has not ceased. The ministry has not caused an interruption. Paul, Paul has got to walk a tightrope between gratitude and... And at the same time, sending a message that would, that would insinuate that God has not been good. That God has not been taking care of every single one of his needs, even in the absence of their gift. Of, of illustrating to them and explaining to them that even in the absence of your gift, even in the presence of my chains and imprisonment, that the gospel is still advancing. And Paul, because of that, is content. He's content. He's content even though it has been 10 years since this church supported him, maybe. He's content that, that he's sitting in prison for doing the right thing. And the source of his contentment and what he's going to say and what he does say in this letter is, look, my contentment is in God. My contentment is not in my circumstances. It's in God. And my contentment is in the advancement of the gospel. Paul does not want in any way for these Philippians to misunderstand and think that, that God was not sufficient, that God did not meet all of his needs even in these ten years. Even in the midst of a very difficult situation. In chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Paul's not trying to say everything is rosy. He's not going to lie and make you think that this isn't tough. But even in their affliction, he does not want them to think that, look, I, things have not continued even in the absence of your gift. He doesn't want them to think that he's been discontented because he was without their gift. But he does want them to know that their generosity is appreciated. And so what Paul does in Philippians is, is, is he, he balances thanksgiving with contentment. He balances circumstances with the advancement of the gospel. He balances bad circumstances that he would not want to be in with the sovereignty and goodness of God. And he encourages the Philippians. At the, at, the, at the bottom line of it all, God, what Paul is saying is this. God is still advancing the gospel even though I am in prison. God's agenda is not being thwarted even though I am in prison. And for that reason, Paul could be content. For that reason, Paul could rejoice, as he says in Philippians 4. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. But his rejoicing was what? It was not in circumstances. His rejoicing was in the Lord and what the Lord was doing. And that is Paul's point. That Paul's contentment, his joy, his provision, his sustenance, 
All of that was rooted in the advancement of the gospel no matter what it cost or what it took. You'll see in Philippians 3.10, he says that I may know Christ, but not only in His resurrection, but what? In the fellowship of His sufferings. Paul said this, If being in prison causes me to know Christ at a greater intimacy, then I'll take prison. If being in prison is, is what it takes for God to advance the gospel to people and places, as we'll see later in verses 12 through 18 of chapter 1, if that's what it takes to get the gospel to the Roman Praetorian Guard and all its leaders, then guess what? I'll take prison. Why? Because Paul was about God's agenda. He wasn't about his own agenda. And as we move toward Philippians 4.13, you've got to keep that in mind. This was about God doing what God was doing through Paul and providing everything he, Paul needed to accomplish God's agenda and God's mission for Paul. The, the advancement of the gospel is what we exist for. It is why we do what we do. It is why this man in, in has given his whole life to the advancement of the gospel. I thought about John as I, I thought about some of you, and I thought about John as I, I preached this, and prepared this rather. This man has battled through prostate cancer. He has seen Brother after brother after brother, father, everyone, nearly everyone in his family died from prostate cancer. He gets diagnosed with prostate cancer. And the gospel still was progressed. He didn't slow down. He didn't stop. He kept going. Why? Because it wasn't his contentment, his joy, John, it wasn't in his health. It was in the advancement of the gospel. And God has used that to further the gospel. And what Paul is saying, you'll see it in your hand out there. Paul knew that contentment and joy was rooted in being a part of the advancement of the gospel. That's where his contentment and joy was. And thus he writes to the Philippians to continue to, to, pro to progress the gospel. Paul's joy and, and, and contentment in these things, they were not rooted in circumstances. They were rooted in the gospel. That's the context of Philippians. You see on your handout as well, Paul learned, if you look, that's the context of the whole book. If you look in the immediate context of where we see Philippians 4.13, that's point number two. Paul learned how to be content regardless of his circumstances. The immediate context of Philippians 4.13 is contentment. It's contentment. This whole letter really is flavored with the spirit of contentment regardless of circumstances, a contentment that is rooted in the advancement of the gospel no matter what. It's rooted in knowing Christ at a deeper intimacy no matter what. It was supporting the advancement of the gospel no matter what. Again, the Philippians, as I read in 2 Corinthians, to their own hurt... They gave with a liberality and according to their ability and beyond their ability. Not just when things were good, they did it in poverty. They were literally begging Paul to participate in the advancement of the gospel. And Paul is writing and saying, look, you be content in the advancement of the gospel. You can be content in that, not in circumstances. And ultimately what Paul is saying here is this. His contentment rested in the, in the sovereignty and the goodness of the God of whom he served. L look at verse 10. You'll see it. But I rejoiced where? In the Lord greatly. 
Go up to verse 4, as I quoted earlier. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. It, it, it wasn't that Paul was immune to things around him. Again, as I said, he, he's grateful for the gift. And he wants to make sure the Philippians know that he's grateful for the gift. Again, there had been a tremendous gap in years where, where there had been support. We don't really know what this gift was. Perhaps it was money. Perhaps it was food clothing, maybe it was something else he needed. We know later on in Timothy, Paul is at the end of his life, and he says, Timothy, go get me the parchments. You know what he says? He says, go get me the Word of God. As I die, I want to be reading the Word of God. And what Paul is saying is this, it's fine. Guys, it's fine. I, I know that you didn't come, I know that you didn't come sooner because you lacked opportunity, he says. You just lacked the opportunity. You would have done it sooner, I understand that. But listen, I'm content in the sovereignty and I'm content in the timing of our gracious God and He has provided for me all along. He never stopped providing. And what Paul is saying regarding our contentment and, and, and our advancement of the gospel and all this joy and everything, and you'll see it on your handout, the sovereignty of God is our baseline for contentment. That great confidence, as we sang about this morning, that God has not forgotten me and that God is always attentive to me. God's knowledge, listen, is so specific. Psalm 139 verse 2 says, He knows when you rise up and He knows when you sit down. He's that attentive to you. And Paul's joy and his value and his source of value and his meaning and his reason for living and his identity rested in who Christ, who he was in Christ, a child of God, that he had been adopted, that he had been loved, that he was cared for. It was not in his circumstance. It wasn't in his, in his bank accounts. It was in none of that earthly. It was in Christ. It was in the advancement of the gospel. He was content having God as his father. And however God used, chose to use him to advance the gospel, Paul said, that's fine. Why? Because I've been bought with a price and I am not my own. I exist for your glory, Lord. And Paul had a settled confidence in God's sovereign control over all the events of life. Whether it be his imprisonment, whether it be the timing of a gift, whatever it was, God's sovereignty allowed Paul to, to rest. The fact that Paul knew that it was God's agenda that was it being advanced, not his agenda. And he could rest in that. And every single thing that you see in this letter, someone from Maine campus was kidding me about how many times I said advancement of the gospel on Wednesday, but everything in this letter is taken back to how it relates to the advancement of the gospel. This is primarily about the advancement of the gospel. You, when, you, when you read these verses, when, when, you, when you take apart this book, it is, it is in view of our great God and how He uses circumstances to advance the gospel, even suffering as we saw earlier. You, you read Philippians 1, 12, we'll see there in a moment. Paul, Paul's suffering was used to advance the gospel to people in places where it would not have gone otherwise. And Paul said, hey, I rejoice. I'm grateful. Paul is talking about being content. The context 
of Philippians 4.13 is in a context that is about contentment. And the word contentment, is it's a wonderful word. It literally means to be self-sufficient, to be satisfied, to have enough. The, the word actually has, carries with it a sort of independence, a, of, a certain lack of necessity for aid or help. People had abused that and just had made themselves indifferent. That wasn't Paul. Paul was grateful for the gift. But, but it, it literally, and outside of Scripture, the same word was used for, for people who supported themselves without anyone else's aid. But, but do not confuse, listen, do not confuse contentment with carelessness or contentment with an indifferent attitude. It mattered to Paul that they sent a gift. It mattered to Paul that they supported him. Score International Ministries, God is going to take care of Score International Ministries and He's going to take care of those missionaries on the field. John is secure in that. But guess what? He's also grateful when churches and individuals come alongside and partner. God has promised in James that pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their distress. There's 45 girls that, you know what, God has banked his integrity and character on in Dominican to take care of those girls, no matter what. But guess what? You know what he does? He uses you and I to do that. And guess what? Whether you and I are obedient in that, listen to me. God's going to take care of those girls in Dominican. But, but he's giving us the joy of participating in his agenda by taking care of those girls in the Dominican. Don't give me this God sovereign. He's going to do whatever he's want to do. He will. You're going to miss out on the joy of being a part of it. That's what Paul is talking about here. There's 40 some odd girls that, that, that God is saying, look, I'm going to show you my, my love and I'm going to show you my, my, my goodness and I'm going to show you all this. You know what I'm going to do? But I'm going to show it through my people. I'm going to show it through your little girl, your brothers and sisters, fellow Christians. There's missionaries all over the world that are trusting in the sovereignty of God. But guess what? They're grateful for our help and God wants us to help them. This is not indifference. This is not pursuing. This is not moving ahead in our walk with the Lord. This is not laziness spiritually. Contentment is a, it's an inner sense of peace and rest that comes from being right with God and knowing that He's in control of everything that happens to us. It means focusing on the kingdom of God and serving Him, not the things of this earth. If, if God gives us material comforts, great! How can I leverage those for the advancement of the gospel? And at the same time, it... It means not being battered by difficult circumstances and people. Self-contained, but it means, look, I, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to live and breathe based on what you do to me. Do I need your help? Do we need to partner in this? Are we a body? What you do affects me and what I do affects you? Absolutely. But Paul says, look, my contentment is not in horizontal things. It's in vertical things. To be sure these horizontal relationships affect but guess what? Ultimately, my contentment is in God. And no matter what happens to us, no matter what happens to our loved ones, we have the steady assurance that God will not leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13.5 says that. Lamentations 3.23 says that all over scriptures. 
And what Paul is writing about here with regards to contentment is, you'll see it on your handout, our contentment is sourced outside of circumstances, and this must be learned. Paul himself says, I learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I learned it. The Greek word here for learned, it literally means to enter into a new condition. To enter into a new condition. Paul was not always content that way. There was a time, and you read Philippians 3, verses 1 through 7, that Paul found his contentment, his identity, everything in the things of this world. And he met Christ on that Damascus road. And you know, he said, everything that I once put in the asset column of my life, all the places, all the things of this world that I once found my identity, I now count them as lost. The word lost there literally is rubbish. It literally means dung. It's like the stuff that we scraped off those scallops for two hours yesterday sitting in the parking lot. He says it's a loss. Paul says in, 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 in contrast to the surpassing value of knowing Christ, all that stuff is loss to gain Christ. And Christ was what Paul spent his entire love, life making much of. He says, I've learned it. I've learned to be content. I've learned to place my joy and my confidence in Christ and not in the things of this earth. I've learned to make much of the gospel and see my life through advancing the gospel no matter what. Listen, contentment was not an instantaneous transformation. It was a process for Paul and for us. It was walking day by day. Even some of you are thinking, God, just get me through the next moment. I know what you're going through. Not as well as you do, but I know about it. I, I watch you and you're thinking, Lord, get me through the next moment. But the key is this. Everything, it's understanding that everything, major and minor, is under the sovereign hand of a father who loves you, who is for you, not against you, that nothing that happens in our lives can separate us, Romans 8, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. No circumstances. It's also understanding what Paul says in Romans 8, 28 through 30, which may be another verse we look at, that God causes all things together to, to work together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. And if you follow that, we love to stop right there. Listen, Paul, God gets to define the good. And if you carry on to verse 30, here's the good, that you and I may be conformed to the image of Christ. The good is not health. The good is not prosperity. The good is not any of those things. The good is this, that you and I as believers be conformed to the image of Christ. That as adopted children, we take on the character and the nature of our Heavenly Father who has adopted us. That's the win. That's the good. And God says, that's what I use. All circumstances, every circumstance in your life, I use them to conform you to my image. And Paul says, I'll be content in that. Contentment, it, it, it's also, though, the challenge for us is it's, it's not an instantaneous transformation. It's something that's learned, but it's also something that's commanded. If you look at 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, Paul says that godliness with contentment is great gain, and he commands that we pursue it. He says in verse 8 there of 1 Timothy 6, having food and clothing, let us be content. That's a command. Food, clothing. I'm looking around. Everybody in here, thankfully, is clothed. We got that under. We got that one. 
You got, you got, you got food? That word clothing there can refer to shelter sometimes as well and in, in other places with food and shelter. Contentment. In Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, Be content with whatever you have. Why? Because God has said, if you, re- 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 if you read the remainder of that verse, it says, why? Because I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. That's why we can be content. Because God is faithful and He has committed Himself to us as His children. The fact that we belong to God. And Paul, Paul's writing, you see on your handout, regards to contentment. Contentment is, is a, it's a two-fold thing. It's a virtue. We're to, pers- we're to learn it. But it's also a command. It's a command. And, and you'll see there right after that on your handout, believers are to be content because we understand that an utterly and totally and infinitely and supernaturally resourceful God will never leave us nor forsake us. It would be literally, I mean, in a, in a foolish sense, like Bill Gates' son saying, Dad, I think I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to start my own business. He's got a dad who has infinite, an infinite amount of resources backing him. You think he's worried about making rent? You think he's worried about meeting payroll? No, because... Daddy said he's got my back. God says, I got your back. When you pursue my agenda, God says, when you live for the advancement of the gospel, when you're doing things about my kingdom and not your kingdom, about my agenda and not your agenda, listen to me, I got your back. And our resources are to be used for the advancement of his agenda and his kingdom, not our own. And Paul was content in simply being a part of what God was doing to advance his kingdom. That was contentment. Being used to advance God's gospel no matter what. Giving ourselves over to God's agenda no matter what. Glorifying the Father no matter what. Making much of Christ no matter what. That is the context. Not only the bigger context, but the, the immediate context of Philippians 4.13. That's the context. Now, when you read 4.13, I think you have a better understanding, hopefully, of what Paul was saying. And you see it on your handout, just in case some of you are struggling. Whatever God leads us through in the advancement of the gospel, God will give us the strength to handle it. He'll give us the strength to handle it. The context is the advancement of the gospel. That forms the qualifier for all things. Everything that Paul encountered in his life with respect to advancing the gospel and making much of God's kingdom, that's the qualifier. Contentment in who God is and who Paul was in God, that's the qualifier of all things. That's the qualifier. I mean, you, you think about it. Jump over this building. I can do all things through Christ who sings to me. Then jump over this building. Well, I can't. Hello. Swim the Atlantic Ocean with one breath. I can't. I thought you could do all things in Christ. You can't. That's the point. There's a very specific context here with which Paul says, I can do all things. He says, whatever circumstances come about my life, even prison for advancing the gospel, I will be content. I'll be content. God will give me the strength to walk through it. You, you see that in, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 
no te- in regards to temptation, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape, so that you will be able to what? Endure it. Not get out of it. Endure it. Endure it. There's strength there. And Paul's circumstances were related to his work on behalf of the gospel. Paul was not out there pursuing his own agenda. He, he wasn't, you know, as we've seen in the news, he wasn't Ryan Lochte lying about what he, his arrest get, should be getting thrown in jail and then just saying, you know what, I, God can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look, you ain't in jail because of God's agenda. You're in jail because of your own foolishness and sinfulness. This is about God's agenda. And should you find yourself in jail for being silly, might God give you the strength to work through that? Absolutely, I'm not questioning that. But that's not what Paul was saying here. It was regards to the advancement of the gospel. The, the irony here, or where am I? Oh, there we go. Paul's circumstances, again, were related to that. You see on your handout, the, this verse promises divine power to live a life of faith in the advancement of the gospel. The, the irony here with regards to this verse is, is it is in the context of contentment, and yet 90% of the ver- times we quote this verse, we're pursuing things that show our lack of contentment. That's the irony. Th- this verse is, design, is divine power to pursue God's agenda. And if we're honest, n- most of the times that we quote this verse, we're pursuing our agenda. Not God's agenda. We're seeking to accomplish our agenda. And I think that's where this verse gets sideways. Listen to me. I thought about this. Rather than, I've never heard this verse used in regards to selling all of our possessions and giving them to the poor. Of going on mission trips, of sharing the gospel, of living a faith no matter what, of doing the hard things of the Bible, offering forgiveness to those who have hurt you, to those who have taken advantage of you, obedience of Christ, of sharing the gospel, even if it's going to cost you your job, or if you're scared of bringing it to God. Those are the things where God says, Look, you do that, I got your back. You can do all those things. All my commandments, there's divine power to accomplish them. You can do anything that God calls you to do or that he takes you through in your advancement of the gospel, wherever he leads. That's what this verse is saying. It's about God's resources and God's power being used to accomplish God's agenda. It's about God's glory, not our own. I I thought about an illustration to illustrate it of of this. Suppose, Suppose your boss went away on a long trip. And he came up to you and he said, uh, Raymond, hey, here are the keys to the building. I've written down all of the business's bank accounts. There's money in there to take care of things while I'm gone. Here's all my information. I'm going to leave the business to you to run while I'm gone. Okay? Everything you need will be here to run this business. What do you think, what do you think your boss would feel like if when he came back, Raymond's lit, the business is boarded up? There's no customers? Raymond's over here living in the lap of luxury, just living it up, using, using, all, of, using all those resources that your boss left you for the, for the advancement of the gospel, or for the advancement of his agenda, and you're using them for your own agenda. 
That, that's really an illustration of what Paul is saying here. God's saying, look, I, I, I'm going to give you everything you need to advance the gospel. Everything you need to be faithful to my agenda, I'll leave it to you. I mean, this verse offers us a tremendous, wonderful promise, but it is regarding contentment in any circumstance that God allows to come our way. And it is a power to face whatever we pursue, whatever we face in our pursuit of the advancement of the gospel as we pursue God's agenda over His. This is about caring for what God cares about, doing what God cares about, not our own cares. And the bottom line for us and the question we've got to ask ourselves as a church, as an individual and also collective as a church, and you see it on your handout, is the gospel and seeing its advancement through your life enough? Is God getting glory in your life, in this life, enough? Are you satisfied with simply seeing God get great glory through your life? If you look to verses 12 through 18 of chapter 1, Paul is in prison. You know what he says? Verse 13, who cares? Only that the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. He says, I don't care if I'm in prison. Why? Because all these guys over here have heard about the gospel. I said earlier that people were taking advantage of Paul's circumstances. They were lying about him. They were, they were uh, misapplying his circumstances, sharing the gospel out of selfish motives. Look, look what he says here in verse 18. What then? Basically, literally, so what? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Lied about, slandered. I don't care. Preach the gospel. Further the gospel. The, the word, I shared it Wednesday, the word there Paul uses for prog greater progress, some of your Bibles say furtherance, it's literally pointing to divine woodcutters. And those divine woodcutters would go before a, like a royalty. If he was going from point A to point B, he would send out this team ahead of him and they would clear the way for the gospel to make, or for him to go from A to B. If it meant eliminating a forest, they would do that. Building a bridge, paving a road, anything that would hinder his progress, this team would eliminate. That's the word Paul uses with regards to his circumstances and the gospel. Paul says, literally, my circumstances, hear this, are divine woodcutters. They've simply paved the way for the gospel to get places that otherwise it wouldn't have gotten. So you guess what? I'm cool with that. I'm good with that. Why? Because my value and my identity is not in what you say I am. It's not on this earth. It's who God is and who God declares me to be. And I'm about the advancement of the gospel. The only way we react the way Paul reacts there is if our identity and our contentment is in God and the advancement of the gospel. The question for us is this. Does the gospel mean enough to us to maybe cap our income? Maybe cap what we spend on ourselves and commit the rest to, to ministries? to maybe lose a friend over because that friend is on a, on a, has not repented of their sins and trusted Christ alone and is on a, on a pathway that leads to hell and you care more about their friendship than you do about offending them with the gospel. Do we care enough about the gospel to, to, to maybe lose a friend? It may cost us a job. Who knows in this country, standing up here and preaching this one day might cost John and I our freedom. 
Is the advancement of the gospel enough? Are we going to be a group of people that uses what God has left us with to advance God's agenda or to advance our agenda? To build our kingdom or to build God's kingdom? To advance our name and our comfort or to advance the gospel? Are we going to be like the, the, the Philippians who are so amazed that God would send His one and only Son to die on a cross to die the death that mine and your sin deserved to pay, demanded be paid, that God would crucify His own Son so that you and I didn't have to pay the penalty for our sin, that instead of death, that we could have eternal life? Are we going to be so amazed, Galatians 1-4, that God rescued us, that He would rescue us through the giving, through the death, burial, and resurrection of His own Son, that we would then go rescue other people, that we would spend our life and our resources about that. that that's, that's where Paul's contentment came. And when we spend our lives on that, when we, make, when we seek to make much of the gospel, Philippians 14 promises God's enablement to walk through whatever God takes us through to make sure that gospel is advanced. This verse is not about making much of ourselves. This is not about, about winning a sports contest. I thought about the irony here. What happens when, when two opposing quarterbacks both have Philippians 4.13 written on their eye black? It's like uh, God's up there going, man, who's going to win? I mean, they both, they both quoted Philippians 4.13. What's a man to do? You know? But that's not what this verse is about. You don't plaster Philippians 4.13 on your... And, and I, I, I would bet that Tim Tebow is doing that for the right reason. I believe with all my heart Tim Tebow does that to bring glory to God. I don't think he does that thinking that God guarantees him the victory. So I'm not taking shots. All my Gator fans, I'm a Seminole. I'm not taking shots at your, your boy. I don't want any emails. But listen to me, this verse is not about sporting contests. This verse is not about business ventures or gaining more of this world or building our own kingdom if we're doing that to our glory. This verse is about God. It's not about God promising to back our dreams for ourselves, for our agenda. It's about God backing His plans and His agenda through our lives no matter what. The question is this. Will we seek to make the gospel paramount in our lives? Will, will we repent of areas that we have misused God resources for our own lives when there's a world out there that needs those resources. A, a repent of times where things of this world are captured our heart more than the gospel captures our heart. Where the, where the amazement of having been rescued has wandered or waned. God promises here in Philippians 4.13 to give us divine power to accomplish His will as we seek to advance His gospel. That's the promise. And I pray that we would be a church that would have the faith to pursue the advancement of God's gospel and see God fulfill that promise in the way that He intended it, not in the way that we abuse it.